0: This was a story that allowed players to connect to us. How do we tell the story? We realized in India, nobody actually knows India. Nobody's actually gone to the grassroots. And even we didn't know India till we started going out to all parts of India doing this grassroot research really helped us understand what players want a lot better. It helped us to represent each one of those regions inside of our game better. So you'll see inside of Indus also, it talks about all of those corners of India inside of it. And our hope is to kind of continue to bring culture to the fore, tell those stories about India that nobody's heard about through our game.
1: Hi, I am Sophie Vo and this is the Rise and Play podcast. A few weeks ago, I had a wonderful and transformative experience in India during IGDC and I want to share the key learnings with you. Great leadership comes from everywhere and I want to bring perspectives from the East to the West so that we can continue learning from each other. In this special series, I am sitting down with five studio founders to offer a broad perspective on the gaming ecosystem in India now ranging from early stage companies to more mature stages, from bootstrap to VC backed, from casual to mid-core, serving the global or the local market. Are you ready to challenge your beliefs and perception? Let's begin. So Welcome everyone to a new episode of Rise and Play, and we are in our special series about India and gaming in India, back from my trip from IGDC. And today I'm super pleased to have Robbie John with me from Super Gaming, but uh, I've met also at IGDC and with all the hype around Indus. And thanks for joining again this morning or this evening for you.
0: <laughs> it's 4 p.m. here.
1: Yes. All right. So before we start, maybe a bit of background as well for the listener who don't know yet about you. So Robbie has co-founded Super Gaming in 2019, and you serve today as the CEO overseeing the development of its games, such as City Royale, Battle Stars, and the upcoming super exciting from my GDC. I saw Indo-Futuristic Battle Royale, Indus. And before you founded and served as the CEO of June Gaming, which I have known of as well, mobile shooter company based in Pune from 2015 to 2019. And a bit of background as well about Super Gaming, is one of India's leading gaming company, founded as well with a co-founder that I will name here, Sanket, Crystal, Srijit and Navnit. And as we will talk maybe a bit more about Indus today, as the Indo futuristic battle royale, which gets a lot of hype, I think it's a whole theme that gets a lot of excitement, not only for Indian players, but globally, for mobile, PC and console as you are cross-platform. You have developed other games such as Battlestar, Silly Royal, Tower Conquest. What is more interesting about the background of super gaming, it's about your own gaming platform that you call Super Platform for uh, launching, running, and hyperscale multiplayer games. And your mission is to build India's gaming revolution. And that's not a small thing, but I see you're very committed to that mission.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
1: So let's begin with the start as well as... You have quite a background in gaming and also your previous company. I was curious more about your journey overall as a you know founder, entrepreneur, how you got even into games, then building your first company, then second company that you can share with our listeners today.
0: We got into games because the iPhone came out in 2007. I got my wife an iPhone and then I realized that we could actually build for it. So I was officially the first iPhone developer in the country back in 2008. Mm. Launched a bunch of games. Our story was small: three guys, a dog, and a dream. That's how we started. June, one of our games really took off, and that's really how we became a gaming company. So we spent about five years building educational titles first through a company called Tap to Learn. After that, what we realized is that we'd gotten very good at building games. But for ten years before, I'd kind of started making iPhone games. I was a backend engineer, so kind of combined both our background as backend engineers and our experience building for the iPhone or building iPhone apps to kind of build mobile games. We only make one kind of game, if you see our entire journey, we only make real-time multiplayer, which combines both of our things. That's really what the company does today. I also taught at the University of Pune for about 12 years from 2000 to 2012. So a lot of the early employees that worked at June were uh, students of mine.
1: Yeah, that's for me quite a strong foundation of maybe the way you build the company, which was really in the learning as you started with educational games. And also we'll get into that in your second company, Super Gaming, even the way you are elevating a lot, the employees, the creators of the games and the whole community building. And I think that as a teacher is important in your story because you can see some elements of that for the companies you've built?
0: I won't take credit for being a teacher. My entire family was actually a teacher. My grandparents owned very large schools. My mom was a professor in English as well. And that's kind of how I inherited those genes, I think.
1: Mm -hmm. It's not a a straight line, like from teaching to building a game company, but there's so much power, you know, in games and creating communities and learning through playing, which I'm sure you have seen through your first company. And I would like to pause before we get more into super gaming, your journey when you built June uh, Gaming for the different stages, because you started small, but the company grew, I guess, and became quite big in still today big. What were the different phases? What have you learned as building the company and that you took with you after building Super Gaming?
0: So I think the key part of kind of being an early iPhone development company was kind of seeing the distribution that the iOS platform kind of gave you seeing what Android did seeing what was happening inside of India we were a very early kind of early batch at Y Combinator as well in 2011 so kind of saw and ran the educational games company Tap to Learn in the Silicon Valley learned from all the people building games in the Silicon Valley took some of those learnings and then kind of brought them to June gaming where we kind of focused on building what we were good at If you're competing in that market, we kind of realized that there would be something that we really need to be good at. And that was real-time multiplayer. That was something that's very hard, typically. You don't have those strengths within the same company. But as founders, we kind of realized that was kind of our strength. That's kind of how we started building it. Our first title was a game called Ninjam Dash. And then we learned from that to build Mask Gun, which is really the first shooter that we built. We were trying to build CS Go for mobile at that point of time. And that was in 2015, where everybody would laugh at us and tell us that it's not possible to build that for a phone. But we realized that, you know, at that point of time, what we were seeing around us was all these kids getting Android phones and getting cheap Android phones. So building for that, we kind of thought as the future. So we built our own engine, built our own kind of expertise in building mobile shooters. And here we are today with Indus, you know, about 10 years later.
1: I think this is very inspiring as well. I I could feel that energy when I was in Hyderabad and then Bangalore, seeing the future. And you were at the time where everyone is telling you like, why are you doing this? This is crazy. Don't do this. And then you did it. And then (laughs) actually, well, some of us, I would say, skeptics were proven wrong because you did build and then a second company now. But yeah, it's interesting at that time, Despite you didn't have necessarily the support, you were a very you had the conviction that you could do it, and also seeing maybe more what I call the ground insights, because that's what I learned there is more you have to meet your players, uh, see what's happening in the country, and you can't see it from a report where it's usually summarized and trying to put in a bag in the same thing together. It was observation that you have on the ground, right?
0: You know, we kind of understood two things from that journey of building Mazgun. You know, so I would say that a building a Shoot a game that actually works on all kinds of devices and shipping a very small kind of package inside of it so that it runs on all devices. Uh, Mask Gun, when we shipped it, was only 150 MB. And we only launched it in Australia and New Zealand. It was soft launch on Jan 16, 2016. And for about the next three years, it was soft launch. So we kind of learned quite a bit from our players. Our players would come in. They would actually tell us a lot more about the game. We would fix it, put out an update. And, you know, it was in soft launch for three years. India was the 37th country that we launched in. The US was the 43rd <laughs> country that we launched in. So I kind of learned quite a bit from that journey of kind of working with the community, building that community from scratch. Every player on Masgun that we kind of had in the early days was my friend on Facebook. So I kind of learned quite a bit from a lot of these players on Facebook. I still had about 5,000 friends on Facebook who were active players of Mars Gun. I kind of ran that community, learned from players what they really wanted. And, you know, I would say that what's inspired the journey of Indus, so to say, Was what I learned from the Maskan community. When the whole world was kind of celebrating Halloween, Christmas inside of our game, we decided to do something different. We decided to put Diwali, which is like a Indian festival inside of the game. Mm-hmm. So we put Diwali inside of it. And what we suddenly realized is people were asking me, Hey, Rabi, what's Diwali? And it was really a lot of fun for me to tell people, like, Diwali is the festival of lights. That's like the Indian Christmas. Here's what we do. Here's what are the things inside of it. The fireworks, the crackers, you know, the sweets, the lanterns. That's kind of what we explained to people. And we thought that was kind of cool because a lot of people wanted to listen to that, wanted to be part of something like that. From there, we kind of learned and kind of validated The fact that games are an expression of your art and culture and people want to be part of that. And that's really what we've learned from various cultures, be it Vikings, Japanese culture, Samurais, Ninjas, anything else that you kind of see, you've learned through a bunch of games. And we felt like that was probably the ultimate art form to kind of share who we are and what our culture is with the rest of the world. And that's really what you see inside of Indus today.
1: Mm. Oh, that's great to hear the foundation. What I appreciated as well, that I could see very strong in the DNA of super gaming, you're building a community exactly around the game and building the game with the community, with those insights that you go and get, you know, it's not just let's get from reports. And I do see as well the opportunity to share a bit more other celebration that happen in other parts of the world and which are not smaller, but just we don't know about those. Good. You can actually use the game as a medium of self expression and especially for a culture and a country. Moving from June Gaming to Super Gaming, so I just want to understand. As you started small, what was the size of the company at that time, the scale when you left June Gaming before even forming Super Gaming?
0: We were about 40 people at that point of time. Ah. You know, you know Maskan kind of took off. It was a success. We had a deal with Miniclip to kind of publish Maskan as well. So I thought that my work was done. <laughs> and what I understood from that journey was mostly the fact that, you know, hey, as a game developer... One can't really capture the entire value that one creates. What I also understood by just working with various publishers, you know, we did a bunch of publishing deals to keep our lights on at at June. And what we realized is, hey, most publishers don't really care about your players as much. They don't really care about your community. And for them, it might be just the ROI that they're interested in. I felt like that was not what I wanted to do. I kind of realized that, hey, to kind of capture the entire value of what you've created, you need to be a publisher you need to kind of own the players. You will need to be able to tell players that, hey, you know, I built these previous games, be part of this community, be part of this next game that I'm building as well. People will know you better. And I kind of think that the internet has moved away from people not buying from a typical corporation or a nameless face. They're actually buying from people who make games. Mm. I saw that opportunity very clearly. And that's when I hired Sanket, my co-founder in Super Gaming, to kind of help build the publishing division of the company and kind of think about our company less as just a game developer, but also the creator of IP, being a publisher across it, owning our players, but also kind of thinking about how to run a company differently. My background and history is all about doing zero to one fairly decently, growing to about 30, 40 people and then not knowing how to scale. I hired Sanket specifically because he'd done that. He'd come from a background like mine, which is bootstrap, but he would kind of seen a little bit of scale in a previous company as well. And I knew the co-founders of that company as well. And I thought that you know those insights were valuable and would be applicable in terms of thinking about building a large company, like what we wanted to do at Supergaming. So we started in 2019. We raised a small seed round, about $1.3 million. Our first investor was Akatsuki. We were building social games because we believed that games are now a social network. When I was building Masgun, I kind of found people Always chatting instead of my game. They were talking about everything, including, you know, their mother beat them up because they missed school, which is a little common in India, but, but kind of saw that they were chatting about anything and everything and games had become that social network. This was around the time of PUBG as well. That was set to explode. And that's really what Supergaming started out with by trying to build social games. We tried out a bunch of things. Our 12th game kind of became a massive success. That's Silly Royale. Silly Royale is really among us, but with voice chat built inside of it mm-hmm. and kind of customized to run on lower end devices. Our core insight was, hey, people love voice chat when they're playing among us, but a lower end Android device can't really run a Discord server and play the game directly. So we kind of built a poor man's Discord inside of a game with voice chat. What we also did differently was, you know, at that point of time, all of us were locked in pandemic and I have two kids. 13 and 10 now but i saw them playing games like you know what we call in india lapachupi or hide and seek or police or cops and robbers and you know i thought that was a great opportunity to build these childhood games inside of a social reduction game like among us that's really the modes that we built we built a mode called hide and seek and in our first week of launch where we were expecting thirty thousand players we got a million players wow (laughs) so (laughs) so that's really where silly royal really took off And kind of became the basis of our next game, which is Battlestars. Battlestars was a mode inside of Silly Royal. We kept introducing new modes inside of it. Mm. And, you know, shooting kind of became a favorite mode for all of our players inside of it. And, you know, we have some background of shooters. So that's why we made Battlestars as kind of a... Like, you know, if you see Brawl Stars is a MOBA made casual. Mm-hmm. And we kind of realized that in India, not many people play the MOBA, but everybody plays a battle royale. So Battle Stars is actually a battle royale made casual. Mm. The maps are specific cities of India. So like a Mumbai, Delhi, Mumbai versus Delhi. The characters are all Indian as well inside of it. But we also kind of bought in YouTubers inside of it. So it has one of India's biggest YouTubers, techno gamers, as a character inside of the game. (laughs) And that's really how we kind of built Battlestars as a casual battle royale for our local audience.
1: Super interesting, also the evolution of the first game starting from social. And here as well is the iteration. You didn't start with a mobile shooter, what we know of Indus, But it's more the iteration, the discovery with the community and taking also insights from watching not kids, more teenagers, I would say. It's like, I don't know these days if they're teenagers kids <laughs> at that age. My kids
0: would qualify as teenagers three years ago as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they're much more grown up. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's what I meant. Like, I, I know that they uh, perceive themselves as teenagers and what do they play, what do they fancy. And through those iteration, when you were building those games, were you intentionally focused on India as a market or it happened to resonate more with India although you were open to global
0: I kind of think about a couple of things, you know, like having built and run games like Mass Gun, Dark Conquest over a period of time, you know, three to five years of kind of running the same game. I still run Mass Gun, which is now I think eight years old almost. And I think that, you know, one of the key things that I learned from it was, you know, hey, data and insights are very important. They tell you the trends, you can kind of understand what's happening inside of it. But the second part of it was I also realized that games, like you said, need to be iterative. You need to keep improving those games. To improve, make any game and to kind of improve it, you need a cheap source of user acquisition. And if you see our background and history, all of our games we have about 150 million downloads of our games mostly organic we spent maybe less than $200,000 in any kind of user acquisition in history and that was mostly by building community building a brand getting users telling them your story and we found that in india we suddenly were seeing this large growth after 2017 after what is called the geo revolution where you know two things happened right one is internet was almost free now all kids were growing up, India has a very young demographic and that means a very large number of kids, 700 million people under the age of 25. All of the kids have started have grown up on mobile games now. We did not have a PC gaming culture before this. Mobile gaming is the only thing inside of India. And people who've kind of grown up on the mobile force or mobile game growing up have now started getting into the workforce. Once they start getting into the workforce, then they're also spending money. This is their favorite return of investment of entertainment. Mm. And that's really where India started to monetize. India is a very young demographic. India is also a source of cheap user acquisition for us. We have lots of people who download our games because it's kind of made for them. It's kind of built with Indian identity, Indian characters, pieces inside of it. And we felt like India was an underserved population. You know, we have 700 million people who play, potentially play games over the next three to five years, but there's no game built for India. In India, mostly, even we were building for the world. So we kind of pivoted to kind of think heavily about, hey, what's the story that I can tell you uniquely? What can only I bring to the table? And what's something that people will struggle to kind of bring to India? And we realized that not just India, but we saw this happen in all countries, right? Whether it's a Korea, Japan, China. In the end, a local developer kind of dominated that entire industry. So at that point of time, we'd raised money, we'd kind of gone and spoken to a bunch of people, we would kind of learned a little bit of history, you know. So even in China, when you look at it, you know, there were foreign made games that kind of dominated for a little while. But then they took what is called the book Journey to the West. And they made those large MMOs based on that. Even today, you know, you see Black Myth, Wukong, you see a bunch of these, they're all based on some kind of mythology, typically Journey to the West. And we felt like, okay, that's a way of telling a story. Start with something that people already know. We kind of made it in the battle royale genre, because that's a genre that India was playing endlessly already. Mm. But we started by telling a story and telling a story called Indus, which every kid in India studied in primary school, but doesn't know enough about. If you ask any kid in India, what does he know about Indus? He's probably going to have four keywords. Indus, Mohenjo-daro, Harappa, that's it. Maybe the <laughs> not so good Ritik Roshan movie that's called Mohenjadaro. So we said that, hey, here's an opportunity to do two things. One, tell them a story about Indus. What if the Indus Valley civilization didn't really die? What if, you know, it was so advanced that it flew off to a distant galaxy? And you're now dis- discovering this distant galaxy in the year 2500. So that was really where Indo and Futurism came in. But that Indo-Futurism angle was very heavily inspired by what we thought as what has worked successfully in every region. And the movie Black Panther came to mind where, you know, you see Afro-Futurism done there wherein you've got the tradition, art, culture of Africa, but it also said Wakanda is the most futuristic city in the world. And this is a story that works in every continent around the world. It's also a story of hope. It's a story of kind of culture. It's a story that resonates with everybody inside of it. And it creates very heavy or very deep feelings within people. And that's really what we thought that we were able to kind of pull off and do when we thought about Indus, Indo-futurism, and kind of designing our map or our theme to be around the Wakanda of India. That's the easiest Mm -hmm. way to explain what we're building. I thought also rallied a lot of people together because we were now doing something that's never been done before. From an art, culture, history perspective, India has been underrepresented. You've kind of seen a lot of very stereotypical things about India represented outside, which is really the poverty, all of those. And I thought that that was also pre-Black Panther, that was also kind of the narrative around the Afro-American or the African community as well. And we thought that that's a way to kind of change all of it and kind of what you see behind me is to represent a different India. The first thing that you know Peter did for my team was to take the Taj Mahal, which is probably the most famous monument of India and make it into that robot. So the Taj Mahal is a robot who has a personality. He's a droid, but with a personality, not a nameless faceless one. We've done a bunch of content and characters by taking Indian art, culture, you know, our other character was Morni, which is the Indian peacock, India's national bird. Pokhran, which is like a nuclear automaton. There's one called Makbalika, which is right in my background, which is an ode to the little girl child. The Indian girl child was treated like a puppet for many years, but now she's a very powerful kind of character in our game as well. So that's kind of how we kind of took Indian art culture stories and brought them inside of our game Indus. When we talked about it, we found huge reception people were very interested in both making the game, but also interested in hearing the story about Indus because again, it's never been done before. Whether it's YouTubers, whether it's esport players, all of them started coming to us because something like this is happening in India for the very first time. That was really the opportunity that we kind of saw in terms of building Indus.
1: I think here, this is your gaming revolution, right? Because I was watching the talk from your designer at GDC as well as the background, and it was really fascinating Every studio, maybe company in the future, may take their interpretation of India because it's a rich, very rich country. And then what is the narrative, a story you want to tell in modern ways through the medium of games? And that's your take. And I think it's very exciting. For me, not being familiar, I can tell you as a non-Indian, not being familiar with Indian mythology or history, I'm I'm very drawn to it because it's it's very lively, it's very new, it's catchy, and it resonates with me, even if I'm not Indian. So I, I'm sure it will have a, its global appeal because it's part of entertainment. We have a curiosity. And I told you I love a Peacock character, and if I could have a costume <laughs> like this in real life, that would be my next cosplay. You can <laughs> yes, see it yes. in my background. <laughs> just love it. It's so a great work from the artist, character designer, because I can see potential for so much of a back to what you said. Conversation of players around characters, the world, and maybe we can get a bit into the world you build because there's the characters, but there's also. Uh, What is that power and resource that you have in your world that... Cosmium. Yes. What is it? And I could see that also being a topic of conversation for the community. (laughs) Uh,
0: So what we wanted to kind of think a little bit about is not just the character, law, story, but also kind of, you know, typically if you see games, people have just created a setting around it or kind of defined a world. They've not kind of connected it to the game itself. They've not connected it to every action inside of the game. So we kind of said that, hey, you know, Indus wasn't in status, wasn't what we call Nirvana, but it had this precious metal inside of it, or this precious resource, we won't call it even a metal. And that's called Cosmium. And that's why the rest of the universe is interested in going to Indus and kind of getting Cosmium out. When we designed a Battle Royale game, we wanted to kind of think about what's the next evolution of a Battle Royale game. You know, PUBG has been there for five years, it's kind of invented the genre, Fortnite took it in a different direction, people have tried various twists on it. But we kind of took a very simple approach to it and said that, hey, we wanted to build a smarter battle royale, but we also wanted to build one with story and depth. So the way that we think about battle royales is think of a pearl diver jumping into an ocean. And, you know, sometimes he comes back with a precious pearl, but maybe sometimes he just comes back with a lobster or crab (laughs) or even seaweed. So every time that you jump inside of the world of Indus, you come back with something, or you have the opportunity to come back with something, which is kind of combining Battle Royale and Extraction Shooters a little bit. But we said that, hey, what's that precious metal that people care about? Why is the Coven interested in Indus? And that's called Cosmium. It also ties into the gameplay itself. If you kind of see most Battle Royales kind of have one win condition, which is you've got to be the last man standing. In our game, in the last circle, what we looked at is player behavior in other games and we realized that, hey, people were just ratting it out, just waiting for others to kind of show up. So it was not very exciting. We wanted to make a faster battle royale because I don't think people have, you know, 40-45 minutes of time on a mobile device, especially to kind of keep playing. We wanted to make a 15-20 minute game that was exciting, especially towards the end. So in that last circle, we spawned something called Cosmium you can think of it as what other games have already done. Like CSGO does it with a bomb defusal mode. Valorant does it with a spike, which is, you know, hey, there's an alternate win condition. In our game, if you're only one person fighting against a squad of three, you can still win by collecting Cosmium inside of it in some kind of ninja way. And we actually had a recent esports event in the end of October, and there were a couple of games that completely blew our mind away because players had figured out strategy on how to defeat other squads by collecting Cosmium. And we felt like, it makes it very watchable, but it also kind of lent a whole new layer to eSports. And that's mm-hmm. really what Cosmium is. We've not revealed yet in our lore what can Cosmium do, but I'll give you a hint. <laughs> it has something to do with time.
1: Ah, So much teasing. And maybe we touch here on a point beyond the community. And because I see layer by layer what you've created, not only like the tech platform, but then also Indus in the community building, then eSports. And I wanted to spend a bit of time on The round, I don't know if you can call it a roadshow a campaign, uh, where I've seen some elements of it and going all around the country to meet the players and connect. Could you tell more about that, which also tells more about the culture you have at Supergaming on really connecting with the players?
0: It's a culture of not just connecting with players, it's also connecting within our company. The reason why Supergaming grew so large is because earlier in June, I had this rule that you had to be in my office for me to work with you. So we only hired locally. When the pandemic happened, we opened out people from everywhere. So we had people all over India and the world come to work at Supergaming. What we did post pandemic is to bring all of them slowly back to the office. So we actually have a very vibrant culture that comes from various parts of India. All of these people bring their own stories to the game as well. They actually bring, you know, like Akito is our weapon designer and he's from Nagaland. So all the guns in Indus are made by Akito Cop, Akito is a real person. That's what nobody knows inside of it. So we started with these small things of kind of giving people ownership in the game. We wanted to tell our story of a game that's made in India by Indian people. So you'll see every one of my team on our YouTube channel. If you look at our shots, you'll (laughs) see every one of them. QA, development, designers, not just marketing people. And I thought that kind of gave real soul to the game because we kind of encourage people to tell their story through the game. All the characters in our game are made by Peter and Rahul. We actually have a vehicle designer whose name is Ayush. So, all the vehicles in Indus are made by AYU Corp. <laughs> Ganguly is the 3D artist inside of it. So, he's called Gangster. That's kind of what we did by adding identity or like reason to kind of make the game. Including some of our characters, they're named after some of our employees in the company. That's really something that was very different from a previous approach that we'd taken. And we felt like, you know, this was a story that allowed players to connect to us. How do we tell the story? We'd realized in India, nobody actually knows India. Nobody's actually gone to the grassroots and even we didn't know India till we started going out to all parts of India. We went to about 17 cities all over India in the last three years on the road, by car, kind of going and meeting with players and asking players like, Hey, why do you play a PUBG? Why does this region play a Free Fire? Why do you not play a shooter? Oh, why do you really like Call of Duty? And we kind of found those various answers and what we learned really shocked us because that kind of gave us insights in terms of what we wanted to build. If I was to summarize what I learned from a lot of it... It was players asking me to give me the accessibility of a Free Fire, which means it runs on most devices, including lower-end Android devices, as well as the eSports capabilities of a PUBG. If you were able to solve both of that, you had that golden connection. And that's really what Supergaming did. Indus is very well informed to kind of build both of these. Mm. It's kind of looked at the failures of other games, like an Apex or anything else that's kind of come to India and hasn't become a phenomenon. Because I think it also ignored one very important part that people have spent thousands of hours playing these other games. So if you don't build a skill transfer system to kind of, you know, when people play your game, they've got to bring those skills of the other games inside of your game. So the elements of familiarity, but also kind of the enhanced that own experience of them playing that game. Whether it's with content, content, which is Indian, whether it's with a new gameplay condition differentiated, the way that we build community, here's a bunch of people that players relate to. I think my phone number is somewhere out there. So I keep getting about 50 calls a day from people asking me when the game is coming out.
1: <laughs> wow! <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I think that Doing this grassroot research really helped us understand what players want a lot better. It helped us to represent each one of those regions inside of our game better. So you'll see inside of Indus also, it talks about North India, South India, East India, West India, all of those corners of India inside of it. And our hope is to kind of continue to bring culture to the fore, tell those stories about India that nobody's heard about through our game.
1: Mm. Having worked on games, more product side, it's a great lesson of... Uh just building a game, designing a game with your players, but it's not, again, reading reports, but meeting them, because I have what we call player research, right? You can't see what you don't see in front of you. So when you get and talk to so many of them, different age, different background, because what you mentioned as well here, you visited different regions, which I understand are very different in India. We can't say it's a whole same country, but very different economic background, age. Language, yeah. Even language, exactly. And how do you solve this when you make the most... I would say global local experience for such a large country, and getting all those insights gathering. And even today, over your VCEO, you still have conversation directly with players <laughs> who are contacting you, and I think that's fantastic. I don't know how, when you sleep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that's how I've always been. You know, we've kind of built this culture where we've been the most accessible to our players. Players have my phone number; they'll call me up. You know, I've had calls at 2 a.m. in the morning saying that the game is down. And I think that's really the friends that I've made. I have Muslim friends of mine on Facebook that have come and lived in my house from Singapore. And I've gone and stayed in their house as well. So when I go to a different country, I usually can meet a player of my game who's played my game for a long time. I have this crazy story about an investor called Nick Snolido from Eden Ventures. When I met him, he said that, you know, Robbie, I don't invest at your stage. You're a very large company. I don't invest at this stage. But I told him that, hey, take a look at what I've done. So, you know, three slides in, he says, stop. He takes out his iPad and he asked me, Did you make this? And it turned out that he'd been playing my game for over six years. <laughs> 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 and you know, and, and naturally he invested in my company, but he's become one of my close friends and advisors. But I think that not only have we kind of made those conversations with players, but we've also had some players become our investors. That's kind of the ultimate way of thinking about that's the company that I wanted to build. And that's really what I find the most exciting about my job. I want to probably add one more point inside of it, and you kind of mentioned it briefly, which is that India is not one country. I think of India as probably 10, 12 different countries. What we did differently, you know, we went to 15 cities all over India. But what we did differently this August is that we now realize that we can't go to every city in India. So we bought in a YouTuber or a player from every state and union territory of India Mm. who came to the Indus office on August 15, which is India's Independence Day, and kind of played the game with us. We've been real, you know, we've been showcasing the games since over a year. But all of these players now went back to their states and made content in their language to tell the story of Indus. Mm. That's how Indus has videos made in 20 languages without us even trying to do this. And I think that's not been done before. Earlier, I kind of thought about my company's mission as putting India on the global gaming map. When this started happening, when I started seeing what was happening on the grassroots level, when I started seeing esports players come in from very humble backgrounds and become the top player inside of it, I realized that what we're going through as a country is a gaming revolution. And all that we can do is to do our part inside of it and build. And that's why yeah. Supergaming's mission today is to build the gaming revolution of India, along with a lot of our game developer friends, but also with the entire community of across the spectrum, the entire ecosystem of players, Esport players, influencers, YouTubers, streamers. That's really what we find ourselves privileged to be able to do.
1: Yeah. And it's amazing. I can see really a holistic company in that sense that you are connecting all the parts of what makes games, you know, like this community, the makers, and also the game itself and yeah, the investment part. It's beautiful and it's very powerful. And I can see that energy in anyone that I've talked to, I'm super <laughs> gaming, including yourself, But <laughs> that, that level of energy, you know, you wake up every day with so much energy and motivation. Like, this is meaningful to me.
0: Sophie, the first thing is, you know, the reason that we are so energized by all of it is not just who we are, but, you know, we've been around for a long time. We've been asking ourselves, when will India's time come? We've been seeing those new people kind of come in. Today, we realize that every employee that we get is so much better than us. He's been playing him for over a decade. He's understood everything about it. Every new person that we get is actually better than anybody that we hired previously. And so that kind of excites us the most because we kind of feel like, hey, now is India's time. Now you have all the players who understand everything about games. When we kind of initially started making shooters, we had to buy everybody a CSGO license. (laughs) Now everybody who comes in has 2000 hours, 3000 hours on any good game inside of it. He's probably much better than all of us inside of the company as well. And that's what excites us that, you know, this whole influx of talent. Everybody says India doesn't have talent, etc. I beg to differ. We've just been a magnet for talent by just being there for a long time and doing ambitious things. And we've been able to attract the talent to us with our mission of kind of doing something ambitious.
1: Yeah, and that I could feel when I was at IGDC, I was so impressed by the level, you know, of skills, professionalism, and even translating into the games. I can see in your journey where you have built a company, made games, like you are really creating the ecosystem environment for the talents to come and form something exceptional and big together. And that I could see it. So that's why I so much wanted to first give visibility to super gaming, but what you're doing and the impact of it, because many I'm sure will follow. I have a few questions related more to the journey of super gaming, because this is an important part as well in for other aspiring entrepreneurs in India, wanting to start who knows the company and be part of that revolution. I understood you started with a bit of funding. What was the journey of funding for you? Where are you today? And even in the size of a company, just also more for the more the business part of super gaming. Huh?
0: So sure. two things, right? We started off by kind of making money first, raised a seed round of $1.3 million in 2019. Then about a year and a half later, we kind of had this idea about Indus and the traction of Silly Royale. Silly Royal was growing three, five million users a month, all organically. And that's when we raised a Series A. We did a Series A for about $5.5 million at that point of time. And that time we were still a 30% company. So, you know, we'd grown from being a 5-10% company before we did when we did our seed round to doing a 30% company. We also kind of formalized our super platform and started making money on it, including running Pac-Man and a few other games on it. So. Google Cloud today is our partner and sells super platform, much like you know, PlayFab is on Azure, GameSpark on AWS. Similarly, we are that on GCP. So that's kind of our funding journey. We raised about 17, 18 million dollars. But we've also made money through our games and through our platform. And what we've done, essentially, we're a tech company making games. So we have 100 plus engineers. Today, we're about 150 people have a little bit of a burn, but kind of are doing something ambitious, but we've kind of built everything, not raising a lot of money. Mm. We've raised less than $20 million overall.
1: That's also a great journey where a part I see, that's the sentiment I've had talking to a few, some of the studios are there trying to raise what you need, but also building a lot and uh, starting to generate revenue. And as you have traction, as you need to expand. And the other part I wanted to highlight is also for the people who believe that there's not much to do in India or to invest, it's quite serious capital. You know, these days in Europe, it's just even hard to get a million for any funds where no one wants to invest in a company, especially doing mobile games. So I want to do so as a contrast where there are things happening in India and there's a serious capital coming to companies like yours and others in the ecosystems where you can do quite a lot of things as well with those rounds and with the capital you get. And as we are reaching the end, there's so much, I'm so grateful for a conversation. You know, it will stay with me. I, I feel very inspired from just hearing what you've done and I see also maybe future opportunity for countries because it's not in Indian audience but Southeast Asia I know I heard like in Vietnam there's a growth as well maybe to get inspired by what is possible as you get you know the muscle the capital and the skills to build games with the stories of your country today looking forward to the end of the year what do you look forward to you as Robbie? (laughs)
0: So I think first of all you know I want to kind of just close out some of the things that we did on Indus it's not just the art it's not just the culture and the stories the visuals, the music, the dance forms are all inside of Indus. Mm. Including the martial arts form. We took Kalari Petu which is actually a 2000 year old ancient historical martial art, which is actually the father of Kung Fu. Like Buddhist monks took it to China and the rest of the world. But it was actually originated here. Those are all things inside of our game. I even got my co-founder W to dance the Bhangra, <laughs> And he's kind of in our mocap and you'll see a video around him. The music inside of Indus is also all traditional Indian instruments. And these are all things that nobody realizes. But when you take the sitar, the saro, the morchang, the tabla, the santur, the sarangi, the Mritingam, the dhol, and put them inside of a game, you can create the rhythm of Indus. You'll see all of our videos use custom music from Indus whether it's Hindustani, Carnatic music, but also kind of influences of indo futurism where you've got heavy metal, you've got progressive metal, you've got folk music of India. And that's really what I feel excited about, of finally creating a representation for who we are. When you think about shooters or any kind of games, they're actually played around three axes, right? Autonomy, mastery, and relatedness. Autonomy and mastery don't change much. You know, the shooting elements of the game, the thousands of hours that you kind of play to master the game. You've got to build those skill ceilings. That's what we know about making guns. The relatedness aspect is what we heavily indexed on. And that's why everything that you see inside of the game is things that you'll relate to, both from a personal perspective, but also from a content or a culture perspective. In the past, you know, we shipped many updates of our other games and called them content updates or localization. We didn't spend a lot of time. We think that today, content or culture is actually our best live ops tool. Because everything that's coming out from the game is telling a story. And our streamers, they love us for this aspect. Because what they tell us is that in other games, they've got to make up stories to kind of tell their audience. But in our games, it comes with a story that's ready-made and something for them to tell and educate almost. I feel most excited about this part of it. If you ask me, we're very close to our close beta release. It comes out in a week from now. So put the game in the hands of players, right? We have 50,000 Discord members. We think that the players ultimately own our game. We're just custodians of it. So putting it in the true owner's hands is kind of what we are very excited about. To get that real feedback, see those bugs, fix those, but also see players play it. The eSports players who played our game at the last test blew our minds away. They played the game so differently and they showed us a skill ceiling that we did not know existed in our game. So that's what I'm very excited about to tell that story, but also excited about the inspiration that an indus can create inside of India. We kind of feel like a lot of game developers let us down with poorly made games. And we're hoping that people can look at our game and say, that's a well-made game, or that truly represents me. Mm. And I'm hoping that the three years of hard work that my team has put in kind of reflects in the game itself as players play it. And I'm also looking forward to the thousands of bugs that we'll have to fix. (laughs) ultimately. (laughs) That's something that, you know, we know exists. That's part of our journey. We've been around for a long time. But that's kind of what I'm looking forward to most of being able to kind of finally play the game with my players. Because, you know, we've played it for so long and it feels almost evil to hold it back within our studio. It's time that we put it in the hands of our players.
1: Yeah. I'm not a regular mobile shooter player. I uh, play more on console, but this is the kind of game, even for myself, I'm looking forward to playing.
0: PC and console coming soon.
1: Okay, okay, okay. I'll take that. I, I could totally play on the PS. <laughs> Very exciting. Well, Ruby, thanks a lot for your time, sharing your energy, your passion. And I want to give a special, I don't know, kudos and also recognition for the whole team, including you for what you've created, because the game through, I would say, any cells of its body, its soul, is feels Indian. You know, it, that's very inspiring. I think for anyone, maybe not coming from the West, exactly coming from other countries to create a properly culturally adapted or even evolutive game to go that far. And that will be very aspirational for others.
0: That's all kudos to my team. I work with mm. probably the best people that I've ever worked with in my life. It's the collective, all of us kind of putting it out there. And I feel you know, humbled by the amount of talent that there is kind of bringing out all of this content.
1: Mm. Well, good luck with the launch and conversation with the community, fixing bugs and so on. And I'll make sure <laughs> also to promote and yes. give all the love of the game to the rest of the world who could enjoy it. So. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you for talking about us and thank you for sharing our story. Pleasure.
1: Thank you, Roby. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Rise and Play podcast. I am growing a community of conscious leaders across the industry and beyond. If you want to join this movement, please share the podcast with other conscious leaders because we have so much more we can learn from each other. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow and rate the show on Spotify or your other favorite podcast platform. It will help other growing leaders to discover the show and benefit from the valuable insights. If you would like to grow rapidly your leadership skills, you can find more insights on riseandplay.io where you will also find my free masterclass on conscious leadership and other resources that I offer. Have a great week and remember to take care of yourself. Until the next time,